today we're going to take an opportunity to, I'm going to do something a little bit different um, because, again, part of my job is to prepare us for the future uh, of you getting a new pastor. And so what I want to do today is I want to talk to you about the postures of spiritual authority. This is not my material. First time I heard this about 10 or 12 years ago, and so I'm just letting you know that from the very beginning. And, but I want to add a few little things to this, but I want to kind of walk through some things, some just some new ways that we, more biblical way in which we think about how do we really deal with becoming disciples of Christ. I know last week Wes talked to you about the cost of discipleship. What does it mean to be that disciple? What does it mean to really live that out? What does that look like? You know, and so we're going to talk about five postures of that. And one of the scriptures we're going to use most this morning is, is John 13. So if you want to turn there, we're going to look there. But as you do that, I'm going to kind of walk through just a real quick thing with you here. If you look on the one side here, you see the traditional path. This is generally how we as church kind of go about making our decisions. This is what we do. And I want us to take a, a more transformational path. And again, like I said, this is not my material, but it was transformational when I heard it the first time. It made me really process what, what, what I, how I really dealt with making decisions. And traditionally what we do in church is our security comes, if we have an issue, what we do is we, we simply look for information. We just kind of look for information. We, a lot of times we don't even pray about it. We just kind of research it and get information. And then what we do is we kind of come to our own understanding. So we have our information, we have our understanding, then we come back to our information. We come back to our information, we kind of check it again, make sure we understand our information correctly, and that becomes our security. And what do we do out of that? We create a plan. We create a plan. We create a plan. So, and what happens out of that is, normally our plan is to build a program. And that what we do in Baptist world, come on guys, we have more programs than, you know, as my mama used to say, Carter has liver pills, right? We have programs, that's crazy. And then what ends up happening is, it ends up in control, it, it, it ends up in, in, in structures by which certain people, certain things, certain stuff in church is controlled by certain ways and those kind of things. And the bottom line is, is that it ought to be the body of Christ that, that's doing the work. And, and it ought to be the body of Christ that's working together. You're going to get a new pastor and those kind of things. But the issue is not control. The, it, what the issue should be, if you really look at this, is the issue of surrender. How do we make our decisions? We surrender unto the body, unto the, the Lord. What does he want us to do? And then what happens is God reveals to us through his word and those kind of things. It's not this idea we go research it, we do what makes sense to us, and that's what it is. That's your traditional plan, then we build programs around that. No. Like, for instance, you know, uh, uh, traditionally what we would say in evangelism, let's just, go, let's just go have another evangelism training course. No, I'm going to tell you what right now, just what Daniel was just talking about, you'll reach more people. There's more of those cars sitting back there. I promise you as a community, if you'll just simply love and plant these seeds in the community, you don't lay these on a counter somewhere. You simply buy the persons behind you and leave them a card. You simply just plant those seeds. We begin to love people. I teach my classes based upon three V's. You're vulnerable, you're visual, and you're verbal. You're vulnerable, you open up your life, you're visual, you serve to show people what Christ is, and then your verbal, you share with them. The traditional approach to evangelism is just do another approach, just do another thing. And over the years, we've had evangelism explosions, CWT, we have a thousand different approaches. Guys, most of you have heard thousands of sermons. You know how to share your faith. The problem is, will you share your faith? 
And that comes when we get before God and we surrender our fears and everything else to him and we begin to look at God and we begin to get our security based upon the revelation of God, not based upon our understanding of something outside of God's word. Guys, it's not what makes sense to us. That's what it is. We, we, we use this, if you, any of y'all ever read Oswald Chambers, most of us highest, any of y'all ever read that? You should read that every day. Oswald Chambers talks about that the, a lot of times what we do based upon our common sense that we do, it, based upon what God's really saying for us to do. Sometimes common sense conflicts with faith. When common sense conflicts with faith, take faith, okay? Our security comes through the revelation of God by surrendering to God. And then what do we do? We don't have a, a plan. We actually, we, we deal with people. We're not, we're not doing a program or, or a plan around this. We're actually dealing with people. We're moving them in, in a certain direction. And then what happens? It gives us courage to stand forward and do what it is God wants us to do. We rethink what we've done. Does that make sense, guys? Do you get what I'm saying here? Traditionally, don't do this in the future. Don't just say, okay, we're just going to get a committee together. We're going to do this. No. I, you know, take the point and get on your face before God and surrender. Ask the Lord to reveal this to you, what you're going to do. Our security comes from his plan, not our plan. Our security doesn't come from a program or anything like that. Our, and it always goes back to people, not programs in the church. It's not about that. You want to reach budgets, you reach people. You want to make a difference, you reach people. You want, to make a, you want to change a community, you reach people. That's what it is. And it starts by God revealing himself to us and us completely, fully surrendering under him. So what I want us to do is I want us to just take this morning and just kind of walk through, just real quickly, five postures of spiritual authority, okay? And we're going to look at John 13, 1 through 17. A desire to be in such intimacy with, with him that people see Jesus in everything I do. The point is that godly leadership is a matter, matter of spiritual authority. Godly leadership, godly living is a matter of spiritual authority. So I'm going to ask you to follow me in the scripture as I read along here, okay? All right? John 13, we're going to begin in verse 1. It says, Before the Passover festival, Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart from the world to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. Now by the time of, this, of supper, the devil had already put in the heart of Judas, Simon Iscariot's son, to betray him. Jesus knew that the Father had given everything into his hands, that he had come from God, that he was going back to God. So he got up from the supper, laid, laid aside his robe, took a towel and tied it around himself. Next, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet and to dry them with a towel uh, tied around him. He came to Simon Peter, who asked him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus answered him, well, answered him uh, what I'm doing to you, you don't understand now, but afterwards you will know. Verse 8, you will never wash my feet ever, Peter said. Jesus replied, if I don't wash you, you have no part of me. And of course, that's Referring back to the concept of understanding of baptism. Of course, we understand spiritual baptism is what really washes away our sins. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, do uh, not, uh, not only my feet, but also my hands and my head. One who, is, one who is bathed, Jesus told him, doesn't need to wash anything except for his feet, but he is completely clean. You are clean, but not all of you. For he knew that the one who would betray him 
This is why he said, you are not all clean. When Jesus had washed their feet, he put on, uh, he put on the, his robe, he reclined again and said to them, do you know what I have done for you? You call me teacher and Lord. This is well said, for I am. So if you, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. Did you hear that? If your Savior and your Lord has already washed your feet, should we not wash other people's feet? For I have given you an example that you also should do as as I have done for you. I assure you, a slave is not greater than his master and and a messenger is not greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, you're blessed and you do them. Guys, when we look at this passage, what happened there? Jesus has the Last Supper. This is just a short time before he would, he would die for us and he would be resurrected and all, this, all that would take place. And so what does he do? He's in the room with, with, uh, with Judas. He's in the room with all of his disciples. They have the Last Supper. They eat this together. And so what does Jesus do? He says, I want to give you an example that I want you to carry on. I want to show you what I have done. So what does he do? He brings a water basin out and a towel. And he starts to wash the disciples' feet. Now, in those days, the lowest slave would be the one that would wash feet. You wouldn't speak his name. You would not say anything to him. Some of the Jews actually believed that those slaves that would wash feet didn't even have souls. They were just a wasted piece of human flesh. But here's Jesus who reaches out. And what does he do? He washes the disciples' feet. And then he says to them, he says, I want you to do the same for others. Now, I want you to understand something here, guys. He's given us an example of who he wants us to be. We understand spiritual leadership and spiritual authority only as we understand who Christ is. Guys, we in church too often try to build ourselves up. But what we need to do is align ourselves with what Christ wants us to be as the leaders he desires for us to be. He washed even Judas' feet. Think about it. He fed Judas there, even though he knew Judas was going to do what he did. Hey, our our human mentality would be, why should we do that for Judas? Look what he's done to us. He's not done anything for me. In other words, you scratch my back, I scratch yours. Jesus says, no, no, no. I even washed Judas' feet. I even fed Judas. Guys, as we go into this community, our responsibility is to touch everyone here, everyone in this community. It is to put everything we have aside and take on the the, the culture of Christ and the the mentality of Christ and to go forward and be his servants. In fact, he uses the word slave. In the Jewish culture, for Jewish male, that that was absolutely hideous word to use. You would never say slave. You would never use that. Why? Because no Jew would ever imagine himself being a slave. But here Jesus is saying, This is what we're supposed to be. You're supposed to be his slaves. Look at me, guys. I want you to look across the aisle for a moment. I want you to turn to the person next to you and just say, you're an amazing human being. Come on, tell them. You're an amazing human being. But we are not God. Tell them. But we are not God. We're not God. Guys. I think sometimes we think we're God. We have so religiousized what we do, the way we do church. We've lost the concept of what it means to be a servant to people in the community. We actually think that God cares about our opinions. We actually think that God's going to ask our opinion. Has God ever asked anyone here your opinion before, yes or no? 
Has God ever emailed, Twittered you, hit you on Twitter, Instagrammed you? Has anybody ever Snapchatted you? Has God, has God ever got on your Facebook and sent you a message, yes or no? Why has God not done that? Because you know why? Because he doesn't need our opinions. Jesus is laying it out here before us. This is who we are supposed to be. So what are the five postures of spiritual authority? Alignment. We see that. Vulnerability. Brokenness. Surrender. And slave. We see all of those in this passage where Jesus aligns and puts himself under his father. He's vulnerable enough to actually become a slave. He's, he's, he's broken enough to actually humble himself and to do this. He surrenders under his father's word of what he wants. He says for all to be slaves. This is who we're supposed to be. So what I want us to do is talk about these five words just real quickly, okay? First of all, alignment. Alignment versus what? Versus our own plans and agendas. How do we get in alignment with what God wants us to be? A challenge is this. I love my own ideas and my plans. Do you love your own ideas and plans, yes or no? Do you love your own ideas and plans? Daniel is the only one being honest here right now, yes. Do you love your own ideas and plans? So who should we follow? Well, let's look and see what Scripture says. We should follow what Christ says. James 4, 13 and 14 says, Come now, you who say today and tomorrow we will travel to such and such a city a year there and do business and make a profit. You don't even know what tomorrow will bring, do we? Come on, life is just a vapor, the Bible says. It vanishes. Guys, we, we speak as if we own tomorrow. We don't own tomorrow. We don't own the next moment, do we? This could be our very last breath, don't it? How do we align ourselves with him? Well, we stop looking for our agendas. We stop looking for what we want. We start looking for what God wants. That's what we start looking for. We start putting ourselves in his hand. I love what the second part of this says. Instead, what you should say is if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. But as it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil, so it is, it is a sin for the person who knows to do what is good and doesn't do it. We boast in our arrogance because we think we've got it all figured out. Because we've made church into this, 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 this thing of this religion concept. And it's supposed to be about a relationship that's much more. We align ourselves to his agenda, not our own agenda. Because I didn't know when God laid us on my heart to share this with you guys, that you know, they would be talking to you today about, the pastor search committee and all that kind of stuff. I didn't know they'd be doing all that. But let me say this to you. This is about aligning ourselves to his agenda for what God wants for this church, not what we want. It's not about that. So often, I think we, 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 we it's, it's like we have a certain thing that we like. It, we judge church based upon the preacher, not based upon the body of Christ that's supposed to be on mission with him. Do you need a preacher? Yes. You need a pastor. You need a leader. You need someone to do that. You do that. But guys, come on, think about this. What do we do? We base everything based upon personality. What it should be based upon is the body of Christ being on mission with him. It's all about that. We align ourselves to his plan. Who follows who? God doesn't follow us. God doesn't owe us anything. We owe him everything. We align ourselves with him. Peter said, you're not going to do this, Jesus. What did Jesus say? No, no, Peter, you don't understand. Peter had a habit of doing that, didn't he? Peter would say stupid stuff all the time, didn't he, guys? He would do that. Peter would do that. But God, Jesus would align him. It wasn't until Peter finally, in chapter 21, you remember a couple months ago I shared this with you, 
Uh, in chapter 21 of John, when Peter says, Lord, you know everything, that finally, when Peter acknowledged that he wasn't God, when he finally surrendered completely, that's what it was about. Finally, he gave himself. Number two, it's vulnerability. Vulnerability versus transparency. Vulnerability is different than transparency. We, some of us, we kind of, uh, we allow ourselves to be seen, but we, we control what is seen. We don't really, we're not vulnerable. If we're going to build a relationship, we're going to be a leader. If we're going to build the church that God wants, God's people have got to be vulnerable enough with each other to build community and to share what our needs are, to hurt with each other. We need others, don't we? Yes or no? We need others. I mean, what does what 1 Corinthians 2, 1 through 5 say? It says, when I came to you, brothers, announcing the testimony of God to you, I did not come with brilliance of speech or wisdom, for I didn't think I was, I was, it, was a, it was a good idea to know anything among you except Jesus Christ and crucified. I came to you in weakness and fear and much trembling. Does that, that's Paul, guys. Let me ask you a question right now. If your pulpit committee, if your pulpit committee had Paul's resume and it stopped right there, you know, that was it. My speech and my proclamation were not a persuasive words. I trembled and I did all this kind of stuff. Would, is that the guy you want to call as your pastor? Probably not. But, but Paul is being honest here. He's being vulnerable. He's opening himself up. Look at me, guys. Let me, share, let me just share something with you. I, I am absolutely so tired of the, the Christianity that we proclaim sometimes when we sit in our little ivory towers and we don't live life together. As if we all don't hurt. Come on, how many times have you walked in church in the last month and you've been hurting? We should be able to say to each other, man, I'm hurting. We should be able to be vulnerable enough to say, you know what? I'm struggling in my family. It's the truth. I, I grew up in a, in a church structure that you didn't air your dirty laundry because we were all too prideful to do so. So here's what would happen. You'd have families over here that had been through what families over here were going through, but they wouldn't share it with each other because to do so would mean they'd have to actually admit that their families had issues. Let me ask you something. How many of our families have ever had issues? How many of us have ever had problems? Any perfect people here today, if you are, I want to talk to you, okay? I want to find out how you did that. Because we need to be vulnerable enough to open ourselves up. That's what Paul's doing. He said, I, I didn't come to you in persuasive speech. I came to you in the power of God. I was vulnerable enough and opened myself up enough. That's what the church should be. Listen, I'm going to tell you what this generation wants. They want authenticity. They want realness. They already know they're messed up. And my students just come and share stuff in my office with me all the time. They will. They'll share stuff with me. I mean, they already know they're messed up. They just want somebody to walk through it with them. Guys, my prayer for Rocky Mount Baptist Church is that this will be the place in the community when everybody says, you know, you're hurting. I'm hurting. Hey, let me tell you where to go. Go to Rocky Mount Baptist Church because those people are hurting too. And they'll hurt with you. They'll love you. They'll be honest with you. Rather than looking down our noses in judgment, you know when my daughter had an eating disorder for seven years? I had people say, why do you share that publicly? Don't you know? Doesn't that embarrass you? No, it doesn't embarrass me. My daughter struggled. You know what I'm proud of? I'm proud of the fact that it didn't hold her down. And you know, how, you know what helped her? 
It helped her when other people who had been through the same thing she had been through were vulnerable enough to sit with her and help walk her out of it. And I praise God for that. We have to be vulnerable. Carry, on, carry one another's burdens. In this way, you will fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone considers himself to be something, when he is nothing, he deceives himself. We deceive ourselves. We need to be vulnerable. Number three, brokenness versus depending on competency or, 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 or expertise. Challenge, I want people to be impressed with me. So what do we depend upon? Guys, it's not about that. It's about God working in us. Second Corinthians uh, one says, and our hope for you is firm because you, we know that, that as you share in the sufferings, so you will share in the comfort for we don't want you to be unaware, brothers, of our affliction that took place in Asia. We were completely overwhelmed beyond our strength so that we even despaired in life. Indeed, we were personally at death sentences ourselves that we would not trust in ourselves but in God who raised us from the dead. First Peter 5, verse 6, And all of the, you clothe yourselves with humility towards one another because God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble then he says, humble yourselves, therefore, under the hand of God, the mighty hand of God, in due time he will exalt you. Brokenness. Brokenness. Anybody here, any broken people here today? Any broken folks here today? Guys, this ought to be a place where we come and we're healed so that we can go out and help others see what Jesus can do to heal them. Come on. Anybody ever struggled in your marriage before? I did. Debbie almost left me in 1989. I never, it wasn't for any particular reason. We just grew apart. We just did. I was in seminary going through the doctoral program. People said, why would you share that? Because when someone comes to me and says, man, what's this? you don't know what that's like, do you, preacher? Yes, I do. I do. Debbie and I had to learn to uh, communicate with each other, talk with each other, share with each other. We were both so busy. It's easy to kind of live different lives, isn't it? Why would you share that? Because we're broken people. I share a video in my class of, of, a, of a guy that uh, does conferences now. He was addicted to pornography. He said, I didn't understand what it was to be a part of the human race until finally I realized how broken down I was. He said, I realized I was controlled by outside forces that I'd allowed to take my life. And he says, it wasn't until I put myself in community and I realized that I didn't have to hold on and act a certain way. You know, he, he talked about this Saint Nate character. He would, he would live at church when he would go to church and he'd be a certain way. Come on, when you drive up in the parking lot, do you become that saint too? Come on, you're screaming at your kids and you drive out in the parking lot and you're going, shut up, brother, shut up. And you get out of the car and you go, hey, brother Bob, good to see you. I sure love you, brother, sister Joan. I tell you, I just, oh, yes, hallelujah. You're laughing because you've all done it. You know what I'm talking about, right? Guys, we're broken people. Resist the proud. If we're going to go forward, we go forward together because this is who we are.
surrender versus com- commitment and control. Commitment, I've, the difference here is commitment can be one of many things in your life. Surrender is your whole life. So, who's going to be in control? Who reigns in your life? Romans 12, 1 and 3 says, Therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, I urge you to present your bodies as what? A living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is the spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this age, but be what? What's the word there? Transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may discern what is good and pleasing and perfect. For by grace you've given this to me. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. How many of y'all, that's your favorite verse? Favorite verse is Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord with all of your heart. Do not lean into your own understanding. Think about him in all your ways and he will guide you in the right paths. Trust him. Trust him. Finally, slave or servant. I want rights. Any of us want rights? Any of us do that? Do we do that in church sometimes? Because I've had people literally leave church as a pastor. When I was pastoring earlier, leave the church and not come back because they brought something over my house to, to give us that I didn't know. In two, and in two weeks, I didn't say thank you, so they didn't come back. They're like, Pastor, you never said thank you for that. I made you a cake. I didn't know it. I thought my wife made it. Okay, I'm sorry. Well, I guess I can forgive you. The cake wasn't that good, okay? It just wasn't, okay? I hear the Methodist church down the road is needing some people. How about that, all right? Guys, we get so caught up in ourselves, don't we? We do. We're slaves. We're slaves. That's who we're supposed to be. Am I employed by God or owned by God? Who are we? We're supposed to be his. Philippians 2, 1 through 8, I love this. If then there is any encouragement in Christ, any consolation or love, any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection or mercy, fulfill my joy by thinking the same way, having the same love, sharing the same feelings, focusing on one goal, one goal. Do nothing of rivalry or conceit, but in all humility, consider others as more important than yourselves. Everyone should look out not only for his own interest, but also the interest of others. Make, our, uh, make your, uh, your own attitude that is in Christ Jesus, who existing in the form of God did not consider equality with God as something to be used for his own advantage. Instead, he emptied himself. By assuming the form of a slave, taking on the likeness of men. And when he had come as a man in his external form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. That phrase there, that, that, that phrase there, his own advantage, literally means his own reputation. Do you know what Jesus did? Let's go back. It takes us all the way back here. It talks about Jesus wasn't worried about his, his reputation. Why? Because it refers back to the fact when he washed the disciples' feet, he made himself a slave. Think about this. The creator of the universe bowed down before the created, humbled himself to the point of saying, I will become nothing so I can give you everything. And here we are saying, I am everything and you are nothing. Now listen to me, God is our acceptance. He's the reason why we exist. It's for him. We need to align ourselves with what it is Christ wants. And as we make our decisions as a church going forward, as we as a people live out our daily life, as we do what we do in the church, stop. We don't think about ourselves. We think about him. 
for it's all about him. Let this mind be in you, which is also in Christ Jesus, who made himself of no reputation. He became a bondservant. He humbled himself, even to the point of death. That's who we're called to be. I love this. So which of the five postures is hardest for you? Which one? And what is your posture today? Is alignment the hardest one for you? To align yourself to the things of God? Is vulnerability hard because you don't trust people? Is brokenness hard? I would doubt that's real hard for most of us because most of us, we're honest, we're broken. Surrender? Slave? Those five postures define who we are to be as God's people. And if you look at the picture there, it's a picture of Jesus' feet being washed. Let me tell you something, church. You're an amazing people. I love you guys very much. I really do. I think you have such phenomenal potential for the days to come. But, but where you are a year from now depends on how we align ourselves to the calling of God. Humbling ourselves. Brokenness. Vulnerable. It all goes into the kind of community we create together.